Welcome back, everybody. It is Encounter with God here on The Breakfast Show. We are about to get into our Bible study. Before we do, as always, we have text messages and we have the 400-point question for our quiz. Okay, for 400 points, what did manna taste like? What did manna taste like? Yeah, what did did it taste like? Do you know? Are you hungry? Man, this is this is making me hungry. Uh, 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. Everything, for 400 points. Makes you hungry. Uh, that is just not true. Uh, 400 points. <laughs> uh, I don't even want to... What you, everything makes you hungry? What does that even mean? Because you're always talking about food. No, but like, by saying everything makes you... And here you're talking you, about Asian food again. Is manna Asian food? Of course. Well... It, it, Israel's in a part of Asia. Well, it's kind of like at least North Africa. It's Asia. That's that's the Mena region. It's like a, literally it's, it's a, Asia. M E N A Mena. So that's like the region, Middle East, North Africa. And then no, they were no, eating no, 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 M A N N A Palestine. They've cr- they've crossed the river of Egypt. They are in Asia. The number to call is 0491-061-669. If you know what man it tastes like, you can win yourself a book from our selection of bargain books, or you can get your points on the board and continue to work your way through the quiz. All right, so let's have a look at some of the text messages that come through. I, 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 it's, it's Asian food. It's just how it is. Anyway, gold, 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 but no luck. Don't worry, Lyle. You can't take it with you. This is very true. I certainly didn't take anything with me from yesterday. Oh, not all those nails. No, I didn't take the nails. I left them there for the next person coming through with a gold detector. We actually, uh, <laughs> that is so rude. <laughs> we actually, we had Robbie Bergen in, this, in the studio during the break and he's like, nah, Lyle's just holding out on us. He, he scored big time and he doesn't want to, <laughs> he doesn't want to let us in on it. See, this is what, this is what all detectorists say, apparently. Um, they're not like me. I just sort of blab everything that, um, happens, but. Yes, I was talking to all kinds of guys. Well, a number of guys that were down there where I hired the detector from, and they all had their little their little uh, uh, little jar of gold specie that they'd found, and none of them were saying where they found it. So. Oh, true. <laughs> wow, that's competitive interest. Uh, I'm happy to tell anyone where I went because there was none there. <laughs> anyway, uh, this person says I did own a property in Sandy Hollow in the bush with about 50 acres with a house. Took me years to build on a mount. Uh, a 10-acre valley surrounded by high forest hills, surrounded by 900 acres of crowned land, which I owned the lease, surrounded by national parks. That was my little part of heaven. I'm sure God will replace it for me when I get to the glory land. That sounds absolutely amazing. Sounds like some good motorbike tracks in there. Yes. Some valleys, some hills, some trees. To you, ride know there were, you know oh. there were good motorbike tracks in oh. there. That, that is Full legendary. drive tracks. Mm-hmm. Places to... Go gold prospecting. Yeah. Light <laughs> fires away from trees. You know, Away from trees. Yeah, that's right. Okay, the New South Wales state government, sex education in schools sounds good, but all they really did is polluted the minds of children and took their purity of mind away. The results are obvious all around us in society. It seems that when people get into political power, they sell their souls to Satan. Mm. Cuba, religious liberty, these three words don't seem to fit together. No, they do not. Uh, the Supreme Court in the US, the far forefathers who wrote the Constitution wrote it in a way that all could understand its meaning and intent. Today, the Supreme Court is a political beast working to the dictates of the New World Order, sad state of events. Mm. Soon the Constitution of the USA will be done away with. Well, at least nullified. Yeah. 
Uh, this will be done to save society. Amazing times in which we live, and you can read all about mm. that in Revelation chapter 13 if you are wondering about it. Uh, people, the news, government policies, evildoers all make me righteously angry. So we're talking about anger um, on the show earlier. And frustrated. But how we react to them is another story. Mm. Knowing that God is in charge gives me peace in this angry world. What helps me is to pray for those who do wrong. It's impossible to be angry with people we pray for. Mm. Let us remember that Satan is the ruler of this world and will be until the second coming. Let us listen to the Holy Spirit while we are able. Mm. All right, so that's what you had to say this morning. Those are some of your text messages. We'd love to hear more text messages from you uh, because we love to we love to hear what you think. And we're about totally. to get into our Bible study. So now is the time to get out your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 12, start reading, start coming up with some questions and some comments to make, and start getting ready to send all of those through for us. Mm. All right. Awesome, let's do exactly that, and let's jump into Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we read verse 1 yesterday, apparently. Yes, we did. We talked about sin and weight, running the race of endurance, uh, looking unto Jesus, all these incredible... So what I'm proposing for today's Bible study is that we start in verse 2, mm-hmm. read to the end of the chapter, and then start chapter 13. What do you think? Really? Yes. That hurts. I, can't, I cannot believe you just said that. Especially because, like, okay, so the opening two verses are, 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 oh, okay, here it goes. are incredible. We're not going to make it and to chapter 13. Oh, it's not going to happen. This is Lawson's favorite chapter in just about the whole Bible. <laughs> yeah, I said it yesterday, and it was really great. We got to do verse 1, and now we're up to verse 2. Now we can talk about looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Like, oh, isn't that powerful? Okay, so yesterday was all about... Laying aside the weights mm. which so easily beset us. Mm. Or like ensnare us. Beset. Yep. Hold us back. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting, we discussed how um, for, for Israel themselves, like as, as a people who are approaching, um, you know, even though these are Jewish Christians or he's speaking to Jewish people who would either be Jewish Christians or would become Christian from Judaism, um, they are about, well, they are carrying a very large weight and, uh, and it's going to become even weightier on their souls and on their lives and on their minds. And we kind of talked about the destruction of Jerusalem that is coming and the destruction of the temple, how the temple was a weight to them, um, how it was causing, it was holding them back. It was besetting them as, as a people. And now it's about to be destroyed, which could do even further. It could have the potential to beset them if it's destroyed out of complete and utter, utter discouragement and, you know, thinking, Oh God is no longer with us. Um, or, you know, they have the ability, uh, to look to Jesus. That's right. Which kind of brings us into verse two. We also talked about you know the personal the personal effect on our lives as well. The the potential that we have um, to yeah, lay aside every sin and every weight, things that aren't profitable to us. Um, yeah, because these things are holding us back from running the race of endurance. Did you talk about racing yesterday? Uh not really. We didn't get super into racing. That would have been cool, but we we just we just said like because this is athletic language that that's Paul right. is using right here. He's mm. directly referencing the the Olympics. That's and, right. And the practice was back in the days, and I, I don't know whether they still do it or not. I suspect that they possibly do, is that people would run with weights. I know mm. that um, uh, producer Shell has weights that she will sometimes carry when she goes walking mm-hmm. uh, to, to give her good exercise. Mm. 
And then when the time came for them to you know, run the actual race, they'd drop the weights and go for it. From what I understand, like weighted running actually isn't beneficial to you. Like you would It was think, an ancient concept. Yeah, that's the right. The thought was good. <laughs> the thought was good. Yeah, but it's. It, I think it stayed in the past. <laughs> I think the weights these days are so that you get to exercise other muscles at the same time. Yeah, that's right. So you'll carry weights in your hand, yeah. something like that, and it'll exercise different muscles that wouldn't be normally yeah. exercised. Yeah, so like Shell's just kind of signaling through the through the glass right now. Like she'd put weights on her wrists, and then you would be swinging your arms, and you would be working out your arms and your legs at the same time. But like the idea, because because people still still kind of do it today, and it's been like kind of disproven. Like that, oh, if I walk around with a big weighted vest on twenty four seven, my body's going to work overtime, and I'm going to lose weight. Uh, but in fact, that. That's not true. Doesn't work that way. Even, even though even, it could logic, you could maybe think it logically makes sense. No, you didn't used to ride a really heavy motorbike while you were practicing so that you'd go faster when you. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> you just learned how to ride a heavy motorbike. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Okay, so this comes to the probably um, I would say the best verse in chapter twelve, and chapter twelve <laughs> is just a fantastic chapter. Is, is, is classic chapter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if Hebrews chapter twelve. Mm-hmm. You reckon this is the? Is this your favorite one here, or is it? Oh, these first two verses first are, two verses. are the, like that's my favorite passage. As I was saying yesterday, like they're just incredibly theologically dense, yes. and and it's an amazing application of everything that's previously come before yes. it, because it ultimately it says, okay, all of these heroes of faith, you know, practice faith. And they overcame a number of trials and temptations and struggles because of their practice of faith. Um, and then it kind of closes off chapter 11 by saying, you have the same goal as them. And how is that achievable? By looking to the ultimate hero of faith, Jesus. Laying aside every sin, every weight, and looking unto Jesus. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, here it is, verse 2. Read it for us. And in verse 2, the Bible says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Was that NLT? Yeah. Was that weird? It was confusing. (laughs) (laughs) My translation doesn't have champion in there. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yeah. I love that, though, the champion. Because I think it's ultimately, like, it's it's just underscoring the point that it's trying to make. It's like, okay, all these heroes of faith, but here's the guy. Okay, so let me ask you this question. What's it like when you're racing to have somebody to follow and somebody to try and catch up to. Does wow. that Does that motivate you? That is actually a really fantastic question. For those who are listening and don't know, so I used to race motorbikes um, at a professional level when I, when I was younger and I was a champion here in Australia. Um, but, yeah, no, so interestingly, the the optimum way to be able to, to set a fast lap time, particularly if you're not the fastest guy, uh, which was a circumstance that I found myself in a lot when I moved over to Europe because I've gone from the Australian Championship to the World Championship. And all yes. of a sudden, there's all these people. So you're the top of the Australian one, and now you're sort of In like, the World Championship, <laughs> and you're, you're like, in the mix. oh, my goodness, this is insane. Like, the, the pace was incredible. Um 
Now, the best way to go fast, particularly in qualifying, what you would be trying to do is find someone faster than you and follow them. And now people could maybe think, oh, is that because of like the slipstream? You know, your bike's going fast down the straight and whatnot. Um, and I would say yes, but honestly, like I, you would see improvements like drastic, like I would say up to a second and a half a lap um, by, by following someone in, you know, if you're in a big train of people and you're all like carving each other up, then you're going slower. But if you have maybe three or four guys in a train and you can all follow each other, um, particularly if the guy at the front of the train is really fast, um, you would just get dragged along because you'd see their reference points, like you'd see where they're braking, you would see where they're, you know, um, like cracking the throttle on and stuff, and you would be like, oh, man, if I just... You you just start, start to innately do what they're doing and then you follow them and all of a sudden, you know, you'll go from doing a two-minute lap time to maybe a 158.5 and you're just, like, going incredibly fast. And and you can, like... Okay, this is the secret. If you, if you guys go, like, social go-karting, this is the yes. secret to winning. Find the fastest person and follow them because, like... I did that. Literally. When I went racing with you. <laughs> I kept up for half a lap. <laughs> and it worked for that half a lap. And it worked. And you went quicker. And then you got ahead of me and it was, it was all gone. It was yeah. over. <laughs> but literally, so like, oh, man, whenever, it's so funny, like, whenever I go, like, social go-karting or whatever, I usually find myself at the front and then people follow me, you know, and they're me, they go faster and vice versa. Like, I, I went go-karting with my friends the other day and I had this, there was a guy there who, who worked for the track and he was like uh, there on his day off, like just doing some laps. And he, in my first session, he was a second faster than me. And so in the second session, I found him on track and followed him and then I beat him because, because I could see what he's doing. And I'm like, oh, so he's doing this, he's doing this, he's doing this. Um, now we've been talking about this illustration a lot, but uh, the, the ultimate point is, yeah, like by observation, like we quickly, adapt and you know in the racing context you quickly adapt and you immediately see improvements like it's it's almost subconscious you're not even focusing on what they're doing you're focusing on what you're doing but because you're looking at them uh you start to you start to copy and you start to imitate um and through that imitation you improve and i think that's the that's the exact illustration it's trying to say to to use here um especially as as again as chapter 11 closes out and it's like okay these people in response to their faith which they displayed were met with such hardship yes terrible hardship and it's like well how do they have the ability to go through that looking under jesus the author had someone to follow that's right they had a race leader to follow they had a champion to follow they had a champion to follow and because they had a champion to follow Mm -hmm. they were doing so much better did they ever achieve the same lap time as the champion no no we're never going to achieve the lap times that (laughs) jesus has set for us (laughs) that's right but they've got an an example to follow the reason i asked you this question was because of the um odd occasion when i've gone go-karting and i know what it's like to be behind somebody who's fast and for me, I find it, it's not just a matter of like, okay, I can copy everything that they're doing and they're not going off the track. So if I do what they're doing, I'm not going to go off the track. But it's also motivating. Yeah, totally. You know, it just gets inside your head and it's like, I can do this. Mm. And when you have that inside your head of, I can do this, mm-hmm. you, you get out there and you do it. You do it. Yeah, that's and right. And this is one of the, so, such a critical thing about Jesus coming to this earth mm. as a human being like us mm. because he gave us an example 
and he goes in front of us. He is the forerunner. He goes in front of us. He runs in front of us. You know, sure, he breaks the wind and he creates a slipstream for us. <laughs> he sets an example for us. And in setting an example for us, because he was a human being, the message that it passes back down to the line for us is, I can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the great thing with this race is that it's about finishing the race. Yes. You know, and the, and the, it's 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 not about coming first in the wow, race. Wow, that's such. It's a good about point. finishing the race, mm-hmm. and this is why the Bible says that Jesus is the author and the finisher. Mm-hmm. He's the one who starts us on the race. He brings us. He brings us to mm-hmm. the track. He sets us on the motorbike. He gives us all the instruction that we need. You know, he's got, whether you turn to the right hand or to the left, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to hear a voice behind you. You're going to have the Holy Spirit right mm-hmm. there. You can preach a sermon on this, Lawson. Oh man, yeah. Totally. Um, <laughs> but you hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way This is the way to take this corner. This is the way to take that corner. You're going to hear that voice behind you. There are going to be times when you crash and spill and tumble and break bones, and what do you do? You get back on the bike and you keep going again, don't well, you? Well, you wait six weeks for your bones to heal. <laughs> and then you get back on the bike. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right? And this is where the Bible says, you know, a righteous man falls down seven times, but he gets back on the bike. Mm-hmm. He goes again. Yeah. Um, there are so many parallels mm-hmm. here that we can learn and we can apply in our lives where Jesus is the author. Yeah. He gets us started. Then you've got the Holy Spirit that guides mm-hmm. us. He is the finisher. He's the one who's going to get you across the finish line. Mm-hmm. Um, and he guarantees you an end for this race if you keep following him. Yeah. And I think then the question is, okay, so what's so motivating about Jesus? Like, what has he done that is so great and so grand and so fantastic that would motivate us in our faith? And that's the second half of verse two, where it's like, Jesus had the experience of being so perfect and honored and incredible. Um, but then as a result of that, had the most humbling, painful, awful experience like that that anyone could ever have like and and that's as it says you know who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of god you know and 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 again reflecting on the the rest of those examples you know of doing you know displaying great faith you know through trials uh and it's like oh abraham he was from ur like he had it all and then he displayed displayed great faith by leaving ur and uh, then, you know, he, there was lots of things that happened in his life that were really difficult, but he was faithful through it. Well, he wasn't faithful through it all. He, he made lots of mistakes, but in the end, he was faithful and he kept going. Like, you know, he, he, he is this high and mighty person who, who humbles himself below God and, and displays faith. No one else has the same experience as Jesus in this regard. Like, he is the ultimate example of that, of being so high, so honored, so mighty. He's literally God. And then he, what does he endure, like, as a result of his faith? The cross, despising the shame. Like, he takes upon himself the sins of the world after living, you know, the ultimately, the ultimate perfect life. Like, no one else can be a better example of having faith than Christ. And that's why we're looking unto him. That's what's so motivating. You know, Paul says, imitate me, right? Paul is like, imitate me, do what I do because he's a great hero of faith. Yes, absolutely. But then he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ because Paul recognizes as a person, he's like, Oh yeah, like, like, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a person of faith. I'm living the faith life. You know, I'm, I'm suffering trials and temptations and everything as a result of my faith. Um, so guys, if you want an example, you can look to me, but no, like, 
the reason I'm doing this is because of what Christ has done for me. So, so Paul and the great cloud of witnesses, this is like the, 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 the pack that is at the front of the race. Yeah, that's right. You know, and uh, they are up there at the front. And so they are there to give you encouragement. They are there to, mm. to lead the way, to yeah. break the wind, to set the pace. encourage you, to set the pace, mm-hmm. to show you how it's done. You can, you can, you can copy them. Yeah. And it's the can... Peloton in, in, you know, the Tour de France, you know, the great cloud of bicycles. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is a fantastic passage that we're looking at right mm. here, and the key is okay. Look, look at the great cloud of witnesses, and then look past them to Jesus Christ. Amen. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It is the Breakfast Show, and Lawson is about to bring us the big one, the 500 pointer. Go for it, Lawson. All right, for 500 points. According to the Levitical laws, after planting a fruit tree, for the first three years, the Israelites were to leave it alone. On the fifth year, they could start to eat its fruits. What were they supposed to do on the fourth year? Oh, that's wow. fascinating. This I, is I, a, I do not know the answer. This, this is one. a very 500-point quiz right here. 0491 064 is the number to call. And if you know the answer, I'm going to read the question again just so you can really get it. But if you know the answer, we're actually giving away a book that has to do with food as well. It's called Simple, Tasty, and Good. Plant-Based Recipes for Top Taste and Vital Health by Paul and Rebecca Rankin. We were talking about in the break, we were talking, we were off air, we were talking about uh, doping in sports and cycling and stuff. Uh, but instead of doing that, you know, instead of trying to achieve your health by taking performance enhancing drugs, eat veggies That's and it. be healthy. Absolutely. Uh, but again, okay, this question, like, guys, hear me out. According to the Levitical laws, after planting a fruit tree, for the first three years, the Israelites were to leave it alone, and on the fifth year, they could start to eat from its fruits. What were they supposed to do on the fourth year? 0491 064 669. All right. Gonna yeah, we'll encourage you. Do it the biblical way and see what happens. Yeah, I guess you can look this one up. Like if you, if because these days we buy a, we buy a we buy a, a a fruit tree that's a year or two old already. Yeah, that's right. We don't plant a seed. And yeah, they're, they're, they're like waiting a long time. Ugh, fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, let's find out what the answer is. I'd like to know what the answer is. <laughs> um, we are in Hebrews chapter twelve. Yesterday you did one verse. Now we've done the second one. Oh, yeah, making no, some great progress we're here. Killing it. <laughs> okay, so let's let's focus on this. The Bible says, "For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, mm-hmm. despising the shame." Mm-hmm. And so here you've got somebody who is the winner of the race. He is the champion. Mm-hmm. He is the leader of the pack. Um, he is the one who should be standing, you know, up there on the uh, on the podium, uh-huh. enjoying all of the accolades that are given to him, and yet he decides to endure the cross instead. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? Well, it's all ultimately like this is this is Where, where's the joy in this? <laughs> where's the joy? I mean, standing on the podium, there's a lot of joy in that, right? Yeah, that's right. But and, where's the joy for Jesus? And this is the like. Uh, this is the hmm, this is what underscores like Jesus' sacrifice. Like this is like the the reason, the purpose why. It's like what what joy does Jesus have in getting on a cross? The only joy can come from us being saved. Yes, us responding. Yes, and choosing Him That's and right. repenting and being saved and spending eternity with Him in heaven. Like that is the cross's sole purpose. Like Jesus isn't 
a sadist, like no. or a masochist, or like no. he no. he's not no. doing this because he wants to feel something. No, this is painful. Yes, this is a sacrifice. He did it for us. Like we are his only joy. And the significant thing here is that the Roman nails did not hold Jesus to the cross. Mm. You know, this is the ruler and creator of the universe. This is somebody who, oh. with you know, his breath, he can breathe stars into existence. Mm. Literally. Mm-hmm. literally breathe stars into existence and you think that those nails are going to hold him on the cross? Yeah. The only thing that held Jesus on the cross was you mm-hmm. because he saw you as an individual and he was like, I want to spend eternity with that person right there and the only way I can spend eternity with that person is to stay here. mm Every second that he stayed there was agony for Jesus. Every second that he stayed there, he could leave there. Mm-hmm. At any moment, he could just step down and walk away and in power and glory. Yeah, totally. And in power and glory and in justification. Like, these people had rejected him. Like, like Jesus isn't unjustified for getting off, off the cross. But again, because of his great love, like... He stays, and and that's why it's, like, so heartbreaking, the scene where he's like, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. Like, the very people who are crucifying him, he is dying for, he is making that decision. And he he makes the point to Peter as well. It's like, you know, if you think that I'm being, you know, persecuted, you think if I didn't want this to happen, like, I can have 12 legions of angels from heaven come and save me and just wipe all these people out. Like, Jesus has that ability, yet he doesn't for us. Verse 3. In verse 3, the Bible says, think... Oh, no, I have to read this from my Bible. I'm like... I'm like I love this point. It's like, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endured chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there of whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons." Furthermore, we have had a human father who's corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirits and live? Oh, oh, oh. oh man, we're just, I'm just getting sucked <laughs> in here because it's so boss. Like, oh, this is awesome. I love this passage so much. This is an amazing passage, and you know we are going to to dig into it in depth as we you know continue here through this week. But we 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 kind of do need to not do the whole chapter. Today, <laughs> yeah. I, I was joking. Okay, okay. This is what happens. I get lost. In the, I don't want read, to do the whole read, chapter read, today. I read for us one verse of your favorite chapter of uh, the book. Of <laughs> just reading the whole passage, and it's just because it's awesome. Yes, yeah. But I guess it continues on with that idea in verse three, right? You know, for considering him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, like look to Jesus. Like if you get discouraged from you know your trials and tribulations that are coming as a re- result of you know, being faithful to God, <laughs> look to Jesus. Like, consider him who who endured such hostility. And verse 3, Paul continues the racing analogy there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
um, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Mm. Now, this is interesting because, you know, Paul brings in this whole racing analogy, you know, lay aside every weight that does so easily beset you and run with patience the race mm-hmm. that is set before you. But here he says, unless you be, you know, for consider him that endured such contradictive sinners against himself, lest you be wearied or faint in your minds. When it comes to racing, how much of it is a mind game? Oh, 100%. Even like, okay, so this is, oh, I love talking about this. Um, in my opinion, the greatest athlete of all time ever at the moment, I would say alive, is a guy named Eliud Kipchoge. And why Eliud Kipchoge is the greatest athlete of all time ever, they had a vote of it, like, who's the best? And when I looked at it, I was like, in my opinion, this guy's the best. And they had all athletes like, you know, Mark Cavendish and Mark Marquez, Michael Schumacher, like all these great champions from all these different sports, um, Cristiano Ronaldo, whoever it is. And I'm like, Eliud Kipchoge is the best. And that's because Eliud Kipchoge ran a marathon in under two hours. That's 42 kilometers in under two hours. Literally insane. insane. Like, he is the fastest runner of all time. But he did that at the age of 37. He is the fastest marathon runner on the planet at the age of 37. How? It's a mind game. So how did he solve the mind game? He learned to endure. That's literally, literally that simple. It literally, like, because we know scientifically, um, f- from an athletic perspective, our body declines after the age of 24. Like, you hit 24, 25, and from that point forward, you're, you over, are, the hill. you're over the hill. He is 37, the fastest marathon runner on earth, because he has learned to endure and despise the pain. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay, so when it says, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds, all continues that concept. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Is The Breakfast Show, which means that we are about to have question of the day time after we have our quiz question answers. Okay, the answers are for 100 points, Lazarus for 200 points, Snake for 300 points, Ishmael for 400 points, the answer, what does manna taste like, honey wafers, and for 500 points on the fourth year after planting a fruit tree... What do you do with its fruits? You make its produce an offering to the Lord. But right now it is time for... Question of the Day. All right, our question for question of the day. Should the Israelites have taken the ark to battle in 1 Samuel chapter 4? Yes, you'll find this story in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3 through to 22. And it becomes very clear when you read this particular story that no, they should not have taken the Ark of God into battle because of what actually happens. The Ark is captured by the Philistines and spends a bit of time in uh, Philistine um, control until the Philistines actually decide that they want to get rid of it. Okay, so let's look at a little bit of history of the Ark of the Covenant and what it symbolized. The Ark of the Covenant was not a god. In the ancient world, the gods were seen to be both national and territorial. So gods would belong to a particular nation, a particular race, a particular people group, but they would also belong to a particular region of the world. 
They were not seen as gods who, you know, they were very much gods made in the likeness of humans rather than humans made in the likeness of God. And humans like, well, this is our territory. This is where we live. So therefore the gods that are here are our gods and they live in this particular place. And so you've got instances like, for instance, when the Israelites were taken into Babylonian captivity and all kinds of other people were settled there. You know, the first question they ask is, okay, we're in this new land. Who are the gods that we serve here? You know, and they begin to worship uh Yahweh, because Yahweh is the God of that particular region of the world, but they corrupt the worship of Yahweh, and that's where we get the Samaritan religion coming from. It's a mixture of, you know, it's a blending of religions together and a corruption of the worship of Yahweh, which of course creates friction that exists right the way down until this day. And so, uh, the, the Yahweh was a very different God from any of the other gods. Yahweh was not a God made in the likeness of humans. Humans were made in his likeness, and he was the rule, he is the ruler and creator of the entire universe. And so there was never ever a physical representation of Yahweh because God was like, well, how do you represent me? You can't do that, so don't even try. The Ark of the Covenant was a box, and it was a box where God's law was contained because that law was a transcript of his character, and he wanted to know, he wanted people to know about his character. And he wanted to highlight, you know, the important thing about me is not what I look like, but what my character is. And of course, this would contrast vastly with the other gods who were like, I want you to know what I look like. And my character is actually really awful because um, human beings can be awful. And so they have created a god who is pretty awful as well. Now, gods in battle was not uncommon. This was actually standard practice. People would take their gods into battle because they believed that, you know, when they fought here on earth, that the gods would go to war and that the army that won was the one that would have the most powerful gods. And sometimes it would be not unusual for people to change religions after they were defeated because they wanted to serve a more powerful god. Uh, you've got examples in history where, you know, when Cyrus the Persian was threatening the Babylonian Empire, uh, Nabonidus, who was an Assyrian, was deeply unpopular uh, Babylonian king at this particular time and was struggling to gain the allegiance of the Babylonian people. And one of his tactics, strategies for gaining their allegiance was to take their gods captive. And so you've got these big stone reliefs, you know, of you know wagon loads, literally wagon loads of gods being transported to Babylon, where he would hold them captive, hold them hostage, so that their their, their people would fight for him. And so this was how the gods were viewed in the ancient world. The ark was not like this. The ark was not a god. Neither was the ark a magic icon. It was none of these things, and yet. Uh, the Israelites kind of treated it that way. And one of the reasons may have come from the previous time the ark had been used in battle. And you read that story in John chapter 6, sorry, Joshua chapter 6, verse 6 through 20, where the ark of God led the Israelites across the Jordan. Uh, it went into the Jordan first, and then it went around the city of Jericho every time they marched around the city of Jericho. And what's important contrast here is that the city of Jericho was taken without battle. Whenever the Israelites were sent into battle, the ark was not sent. Only when God was stepping in and God was demonstrating, I am going to deliver you myself, and of course that was his intention to do with the whole of Palestine, uh, was the ark present. 
when the uh, people decided to take it in First Samuel chapter 4 without asking God and actually take it into battle, uh, that was against the will of God. And so we can see that in the story where the ark ends up being captured and it, well, it treats, God treats the Philistines kind of badly and the Philistines end up giving more respect to the ark than a lot of the Israelites had up until that particular point. But stay tuned now, of course, for Tassie Encounters with Jason Cook and his team down there in Tassie. But right now, we want to remind you to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.